As you're being seated, if you will open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, I want to recognize Micah Richardson over here to my left. Micah received his God and Church Award with the Boy Scouts of America last night, I believe, and so Micah's on his way to becoming an Eagle Scout, so well done, Micah. I'm proud of you for achieving that. We are in a series called Finding Peace, and in this series, we've been talking about what it means to be a peacemaker. Now, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, he said in the Beatitudes, the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called the sons of God. And so we discussed how Jesus called us as Christians to be peacemakers, that sometimes we get so caught up in all the doing of life that we forget about being, that being is where life is really lived, and that we need to realize that we are blessed beings as children of God. And whenever you understand that as a child of God, as a believer in Christ, you belong to the Heavenly Father and nothing's going to separate you from His love. His love has been extended to you unconditionally. It really frees you to live your life as a peacemaker instead of always having to uh, crawl and uh, always having to claw and, and grasp for things that you want in this life. Now, last week in Sermon 2, we looked at James' pointed question that he offers in James chapter 4 and verse 1, where he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And we downloaded this major idea that conflict ultimately begins in the heart. You have the event that you're fighting over, but beyond that, at a deeper level, conflict begins in the heart. And so throughout the New Testament, there is this battle that is presented, this battle between flesh and spirit, between thinking in a selfish fashion or thinking in a spiritual fashion. And so what's guiding your heart is going to lead you to behave in a certain way. If within your heart you have selfishness and your heart has been gripped by selfishness, then in virtually every situation that you face, you're going to be asking questions like, what's in it for me? What do I want? How do I accomplish my will in this? And you're going to have a selfish heart, which will often lead you uh, to be a peace breaker instead of a peacemaker. Now, the contrast to this is that whenever you, James said, draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. And instead of having a selfish heart, that is gripped uh, by your pride, your heart can begin to be gripped by the Holy Spirit of God as God's Spirit uh, fills you and as you learn to walk in wisdom and you gain the insight that can only come from the Holy Spirit. You know, in life, no one sets out to make a horrible decision. Those things just seem to sort of happen. You don't stand at the altar on your wedding day and say, you know what, Uh, today I I promise you my love, but I'm going to decide in the days to come to cheat on you, and I'm going to do everything I can to wreck our home, to hurt our children, and and, uh, that's really just the decisions that I'm going to make. You don't decide that at the altar. Whenever you hold that new baby in your arms and you've just given birth, you don't look at that baby and go, oh, you're so cute, I'm going to spoil you rotten and I'm going to give you this great sense of entitlement and you know you're going to leave my home without any understanding of right and wrong and you're going to go out into the world totally ill-equipped to make any good decision whatsoever. 
You know, you, you, don't, you don't make that decision whenever you're holding that newborn baby. Uh, a college kid doesn't go off to school and say, hey, bye, Mom, thank you so much. I'm, as I go, I'm going to abandon my faith, and I'm going to become an alcoholic, and I'm going to flunk out, and I'll be back in a year. You know, you don't, you don't make that decision when you're leaving for school. I mean, uh, no one plans for their house to be a war zone. You don't, you don't start out thinking, what I really want for my family is I want us to always be fighting. That's just what I long for. It just sort of happens. So how does this happen? How does this occur? I'm going to submit to you that it's the result of selfish, sinful decisions in our heart. And whenever that selfishness grips our heart, it leads us into a series of decisions that often puts us in a point of conflict. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 starts out with a familiar statement. The Bible says, don't be deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, you'll see there early in the verse, there's that famous idiomatic expression, a man reaps what he sows. One of the more fascinating stories to come from the Afghan war was the story of Marcus Luttrell. Uh, Marcus Luttrell was a Navy SEAL, and there was a situation where he and three other, or three SEALs were ambushed by the Taliban, and he was the only one that survived the ambush. And so he found himself lying on the ground. He had a, a broken back. He had a cracked pelvis. His knees had been uh, destroyed. His face was broken. His tongue was bitten in half. And Luttrell says, I, I, know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to last long in that situation. But he made a decision. He made a decision he was going to keep fighting. He was going to do everything he could to survive. And so he says, I got my knife out and I reached up above my head and I drew a line in the dirt. And I said to myself, I'm going to crawl past that line. And so even though he couldn't really move his legs, he crawled past that line. And then whenever he got there, he, he took his knife out again and drew another line. And he said, I'm going to draw past the line. I'm going to crawl past the line again. And Luttrell says he did this for uh, about seven miles until eventually, through some other circumstances, he was brought to safety. Destinations in life are the results of decision points. You are where you are because of decisions that you've made along the way. Little by little, one line at, the one line at a time, you make decisions in life, and then your life begins to crawl forward towards those destinations. Now, if you want peace in your life, and I would imagine that Virtually all of us would say, yeah, I, I want to have a, a peaceful life. I want peace in my life. You're not going to find peace in your life in foolish, selfish, lazy, prideful, envious decisions. Those decisions are rooted in a heart that will lead to conflict 
if you want to have peace in your life, if you want a deep abiding joy, it's going to be found whenever you surrender your life to the one who laid down his life for you. Peace will be found when you draw near to God, and then the Holy Spirit of God draws near to you. Uh, Paul said, you know, uh, set your mind on things above, and then you'll be capable, you'll be able to go to war with the various problems that you deal with here on earth. The peace of God that we talk about, though, is not the absence of storms. Sometimes people think of peace as that means all conflict will end, and then I'll have peace in life. Uh, I've got news for you. Your life is always going to have conflict in it. There's always going to be struggle. There's always going to be adversity in your life. The peace that I'm talking about is not the elimination of problems, but the peace that scriptures talk about, that scriptures talk about is a calm that is found from God's presence within the storms of life. And God says, I can bring a peace that passes understanding to your life where you find yourself going through difficult times, but for whatever reason, there is a peace, there is a calmness that comes from knowing God. So here's what I want us to do today. I, w- I want us to look at three big thoughts from Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And these three thoughts will frame our time together. The first is this, do not be deceived. That's how the passage begins, don't be deceived. Jesus said something in John 8, that I've never forgotten. He taught that the native language of the evil one is to deceive or to lie. And so whenever you think about the word evil, understand that evil is fluent in lies. Evil always tries to deceive. It always tries to distort that which is truth and twist truth into something else. Now, Satan He's a master caster. Man, he knows exactly where you're weak. He knows exactly where you're struggling. Our finding peace picture today, I don't know if we have it up here. Uh, Let's see if we can find our finding peace picture. Not yet. There we are. Our finding peace picture today is two fishermen out on a pond. And one of the things we've been doing in this series is we've been inviting you, if you have a picture that really... uh, resonates peace to submit that to us office at murphychurch.com once a week we pick we pick a picture and that becomes our sermon logo and uh, Covey Weaver submitted this picture two of his sons fishing out in a pond and I don't know about you but if you've ever been on a body of water and and the peace that's there whenever you're just out there fishing all well, Satan he's a master caster he knows exactly where you're weak and so he knows exactly What bait will really attract you? And he knows how to put the right bait on the hook. And he knows how to put it out there where where it's so alluring. And and whenever he, he gets you into his trap, he sets the hook and he reels you in. The evil one has a large trophy room. It's full of successful people. It's full of athletic people. It's full of young people, old people, wealthy people, poor people who fell victim to the bait to the deception of evil and found themselves hooked, living a life that they never thought that they would live. I think of King David. King David was a a great man, probably the greatest king that Israel ever had, but there was one very, very dark blot on David's life, and that was the sin that he committed with 
Bathsheba. Now you remember the the story. David uh, slept with Bathsheba and she wound up uh, having a child. But uh, that, that sin didn't just begin one day. That sin began with a selfish desire that had begun to take root in David's heart. David was a great man of valor. Throughout his life, he had always led the armies into war. But David had decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that this year. I'm going to stay back while the other men go out to fight. And then as he lived his life, he began getting a little lazy. He began getting bored. You know, laziness and boredom are always enemies of productivity. And so he one night goes out onto his balcony, and there he sees the curves of a beautiful woman. And he begins to gaze upon her and lust after her. And this starts into motion a series of choices. David decides that he's going to pursue her. David commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. David decides that he's going to try to deceive her husband, Joab. Then David makes the decision to abuse his power. And ultimately, David decides to have her husband murdered. This led David to consequences for his choices. Now, at first, it appeared that David was going to get away with his sinful action. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And so eventually, David found himself face to face with the prophet Nathan, and he was publicly exposed. He was publicly humiliated for his decision. And though God forgave him, if you read the life of David, you discover that his life was never the same after the event with Bathsheba. That before that, his life just seemed to be marked by blessing after blessing. And after that event, it seemed as though his life was marked with heartache after heartache. Even though he was forgiven by God, his life continually faced the consequences for his decision. And then you find David was brokenhearted. As a young man, David was called a man who pursued God's own heart. But when you get to Psalm 51... You see a man whose heart had been broken. You see a humble man who is dealing with the consequences and the broken heart of his sin. There's a lot of deception out there today. I encourage you to pay attention because there's a lot of people trying to deceive us and to twist truth. And there's a lot of people that fall for that deception. A lot of times we think to ourselves, you know what? If I can just find love, if I can just find my soulmate, if I can just find that person that I've been looking for all my life, then I'll have peace. And you find it, and you find yourself still struggling to enjoy life. You think to yourself, if I can just uh, get financial security, if I can just make more money, then I'll find peace. And you achieve, and you do well, and, and you, you get to a point where you have financial security, and yet peace does not flow into your life. You think, if I can just eliminate injustice and I'll fight for different causes and then I'll find peace, but no matter how hard you fight, another issue just continues to pop up and peace is nowhere to be found. Sometimes we tell people, if you'll just follow your heart, just follow your heart, then you'll find peace. If you really break that down, it's horrible advice. Tell someone, hey, just follow your heart. Just do, do whatever your heart leads. If you really think about it, 
lot of times you're encouraging someone to go out and follow their heart and their heart's lacking wisdom. They don't really have the wisdom in their heart to make uh, good, strong decisions. And so they follow their heart into foolishness. Or it may be that in their heart there's still a lot of bad junk. There's still a lot of mess that hasn't been dealt with. And if they follow their heart, they're just going to go further into the deception. But I want you to understand that evil always deceives. And whenever we fall for that selfishness, or when we fall for that deception, it will lead you to selfishness. It's going to lead you to poor decisions, which are going to lead you to tough consequences and broken hearts. When you fall for the deception, it leads you to selfishness, poor decisions, tough consequences, and broken hearts. Now, there's a second truth, and that is that you reap what you sow. Verse 7 says, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Now, normally we talk about this in the negative. Somebody does something bad, and we say to them, you know what, you're going to reap what you sow, but let's reverse it. Let's talk about it in the positive today. How do we sow to the Spirit? How do we reap in such a way, sow in such a way that we reap the benefits and the blessings that we long for in life? Well, first of all, we draw near to God, and the Spirit of God draws near to you. If conflict begins in our heart, what we need, need is a renewed heart. So the selfishness that we have in our heart needs to be drained, and our heart needs to be filled with godliness. We need to have a spiritual mindset. And so we must draw near to God so that we can begin seeing the world as He sees the world. We can begin understanding our reality beyond the deception that is advertised to us everywhere we look. The second thing is that once we draw near to God, we're then able to make wise decisions. We're able to, as the passage says, sow to the Spirit. We can see more clearly because we have drawn near to God. And so the various decision points that we have in our life, we're able to walk in wisdom, to make wise choices thirdly. And as you make wise choices, you begin to reap the benefits of wisdom in your life. And the passage teaches us that the ultimate benefit of our wise choice is that we have eternal life with God. Now, as Christians, we need to understand that whenever you live life today with the end in mind, it frees you uh, in Christ. The Bible talks all the time about freedom in Christ. Where does that freedom come from? It comes from the reality that in Christ, I am forgiven of my sins, past, present, and future. That freedom in Christ comes from the reality that I know, I I don't have to guess, this is one of the beautiful things about Christianity, and I wish I had more time today to unpack this, but I don't have to guess as a believer in Christ where I'm going at the end of this life, hoping that I can be good enough. The scriptures teach me that when I'm in Christ, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And so even death or famine, whatever hardship comes my way, it's not going to separate me from the love of God. One of the most famous verses in the scriptures teach us that whoever believes in Christ has 
eternal life. So whenever I know that this life, this empirical world, is not all that there is, but that there is more for me in heaven, it frees me to live my life here in a radically different way because instead of trying to claw and grasp for everything I can get and and it's up to me and and, and i got to be the God of my world, I can live my life not for my glory but for God's glory. And whenever I'm able to see that, make my decisions based upon that, live with that, everything begins to change. And instead of a broken heart, you can have what the Bible describes as a peace that passes understanding or what other writers in the Bible described as the joy of the Lord in your heart. It's this deep sense of blessing, this reality of being, this understanding that even though I go through difficult times, God will never leave me or forsake me, that I am his for all eternity. And because of that, even in the midst of storms, I have a peace that comes from above. Now, the third truth that this passage teaches us is a real practical truth. The passage says, don't grow tired in doing good. Don't grow tired in doing good. Look at verse 9. It says, so we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't give up. The proper time is coming. And therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a rather bizarre time period in history. And it's particularly bizarre if if you hold to what might be considered traditional values because uh, a lot of that which has been maintained for a long period of time is now under uh, a great deal of scrutiny. Uh, If you hold to uh, a traditional value of marriage, you know, Christians have held to an understanding of marriage uh, for 2,000 years. And as recently as about 10 years ago, uh, virtually every politician, everybody out there agreed to the same standard uh, as far as uh, male and female. It was supposed to be a lifetime covenant and Now in the world in which we live in, many people consider that to be an extreme or bigoted position. It's not something that we just made up. In fact, uh, in Jesus' day, uh, they were struggling with definitions of marriage. In Jesus' day, it was particularly polygamy and easy divorce. And so they came to Jesus and said, what do you think? And he said, this is how it was in the beginning. God created them male and female. In Jesus' teaching, gender always was part of the creative order. And and in Jesus' teaching, he said he created a male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his family and the two will be joined together and they will be uh, one flesh. This is how God designed marriage in the beginning. And yet, uh, in the society that we live in, sometimes those that uphold that type of a traditional view, are now called extremists or bigots. Uh, We live in a society where Bruce Jenner is called courageous and Chris Kyle is called a coward. We live in a society where anything traditional about sexuality, if you think that marriage defines sexuality rather than uh, sexuality defining you as a person, that's a 
That's bizarre to people. We live in a society where family, marriage, authority, they're all under attack by secularists. In fact, last week in the Boston Globe on Mother's Day, there was an article that was published on uh, rethinking motherhood. And in the article, it argued that the idea of motherhood, that concept that we celebrated last week, that this idea, this concept, this American ideal of motherhood is a cultural invention birthed by our American bias towards personal responsibility. My wife and I have three children. We've been married 17 years. Uh, I'm in love with her. We love each other. Uh, this, this hunk that stands before you today, uh, I'm off the market. Sorry, okay? You know, I'm, I'm married, so, and I, I plan on being married till death do us part. In our marriage, we, we have worked really hard to have a peaceful home. Um, we, we have these little ones that call me dad. And I tell you what, that is an incredible responsibility whenever you have little people looking up at you and calling you dad. And one of the things that we try really hard to do is we try to teach them right and wrong. And we try to encourage them to seek wisdom. I pray over my children every night that they might love God. One of the fears that I have is that they'll think that God is just something you do on Sundays. That we just take them to church once a week. I don't want that for my kids. I want them to have a deep love of God in their hearts. For our family, and I pray this for your family as well, we, we pray that we might love one another. That we'll live in peace and harmony. I encourage my kids to be best friends with each other. And I tell them, you're going to be with each other all through life. You need each other. You can't fight. You don't have that option. You've got to love each other. You're kids. You're your brother and sister, you know. And we also try to teach our family to, to love and serve others and to care about their community and care about people and to be willing to give their life to try to help others. And so I look at the family that I'm a part of and I have this troubling reality that begins to hit me, and that is that in 2015 America, we're a non-traditional family. We're not really what's traditional anymore. And I realize this about many of you, that many of you are also non-traditional families. You're in marriages where you see marriage as a lifetime, lifelong covenant between a husband and a wife, and it's something that's not to be torn asunder and you're trying to raise your children to love God and to love each other and to love others and and you're you're here at church today because you value the word of God and you want to learn about God and you want to have a relationship with the Lord and you you desire the peace that I'm talking about and in many ways you're a non-traditional family and in the world in which we live it's really easy to get tired we are so stinking overstimulated with all of our screens and it's so easy just to be weary. And sometimes we begin even thinking that we're all alone. And nobody else is living life the way that we are. And we start worrying about the future. And we start thinking, hey, what kind of world are my children going to live in? And what kind of world are my grandchildren going to live in? And what's going to happen? And we start kind of wringing our hands. And then we think, oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead. And I just want to remind you today 
Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in standing for that which is right. Don't grow weary in doing good because God is using you. God is using your family. You may not realize it, but your neighbors are watching. You may not realize it, but those that are at the school that you attend, they're watching the way that you're living your life. And whenever you love God and love one another and love others, there are people that are observing and God is using your family. So I implore you today to keep making wise decisions, to keep honoring God in everything, to seek peace, seek to be a peacemaker instead of a peace breaker. And don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. And so we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please? As we come to a time of commitment, the band's going to come. They're going to lead us in worship. I'll be here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, it's always my joy to do so. If today is a day where you're making a decision to become a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to please talk with me. I want to encourage you in that, help you, be a guide to you, however I might be. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church, and I thank you for these that are here today. And I pray, Lord, that we might be a people that loves you deeply. I pray, Father, that our love will also be grounded in truth. And so, because of the fact that you have shown us what is right and what is wrong, and you have gifted us with the Holy Spirit, I pray that we can walk in wisdom and not walk in foolishness. And Lord, I'm mindful that in this room today there are marriages that are in conflict. I'm mindful that there are individuals who are dealing with some very difficult consequences because of choices that they've made. If there are those that had a dream for their family and they find themselves now living in a household that is full of conflict and war. And Lord, we try so many things. I pray that we might try opening our heart to You. Allow us to be filled with Your Holy Spirit. Show us those areas where perhaps we've been deceived, perhaps we've been going down lines of thinking that are really foolishness instead of wisdom. Help us, Lord, to seek the truth of Your Holy Spirit the truth of your word. And I pray for the individuals and the families that are in this room today that they might have peace in their life, that they might enjoy the blessings of being, and that you will be bring rest to their soul so that they can have the joy of the Lord in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.